Let's talk about toys, shall we? Toys, decluttering, and mess. In this episode, you'll discover the seven most common reasons people have too many toys and why it's difficult to downsize so that you can overcome these limiting beliefs and clear the way for a decluttered, soothing play space. You're listening to The Parenting Junkie Show, the place to go to love parenting and to parent from love. I'm your host, Avital. Hey there, I'm Avital. Thank you so much for tuning in. I know there are a million other things you could be doing with your time and attention, and I'm honored that you've chosen to spend a little bit of it here with me today. If you're just meeting me for the first time, I'm a mindful parenting coach. I'm the mother of four, and my goal is to help you. You're my fellow imperfect but intentional parent. And in this particular episode, we're going to say goodbye to clutter and reclaim peace, presence, and play for your family. I've been helping people declutter, minimize, and set up play spaces and zones for the last few years. And it's now in the tens of thousands, if not more, um, people who have gone through this process with me. And I just love it that something so free, so simple, uh, so straightforward, so available to everybody can make such a massive change, such a dramatic difference in their children's playtime and therefore in their childhood and therefore also in their parenting experience. But what I don't love is seeing how many people get really um, challenged, just limited by their own beliefs. They get in their own way from what should be a fairly simple process, even though I know it isn't. You see, I moved to America a few years ago, about five years ago, and one of the things that struck me most perhaps number two, um, because number one was the anxiety that people were experiencing, how anxious parenting seemed to make them. But number two was seeing the overcrowded playrooms and the overcrowded schedules. But today we're going to talk about the playrooms. And before I get too high on my high horse, let me just say that I have this same problem too. I mean, I know to many people who see videos of my home and pictures of my home, it seems so minimalistic and so decluttered, but I still experience too many toys. I still think we have too many and I still have difficulty downsizing and yet more still come in because we have well-meaning grandparents and sweet neighbors who have just outgrown a massive chest full of dressing up clothes and decide to hand it directly to my children. Or we have, you know, loving tutors and teachers who every single time they see my kids, they need to give them a gift. And it's so sweet and it's so loving, but it's also not what we want in our space. It becomes overwhelming for us. And so I'm definitely not speaking as some guru. I never am. I'm definitely learning all of this stuff too. And I apply it again and again. In fact, recently, before the comments on my YouTube channel were switched off for a time, and I hope they'll be back soon, but for now they're off, um, recently someone left me a comment saying that my minimalism videos are just ridiculous because I'm not really a minimalist. I have a whole nook in my house for books, um, and my kids have a bunch of toys, so I'm not really a minimalist. I just tidy things up and put them in neat baskets. And, you know... (sighs) there's a point there. I mean, she has a point. It's true. uh, I'm not hardcore minimalist because I don't believe in hardcore unless that serves you. I don't believe in dogma and I don't believe in just being minimalist for the sake of it. You've got to use it as a tool that makes sense for you. 
I see minimalism more like a spectrum, um, more like, you know, if you go from all the way to the hoarder, the maximalist, the cluttered, messy space, and all the way through to the completely Spartan spaces where there's basically no toys, no stuff, everything is white. Um, and, you know, this could also apply to the people who live in tiny homes or in schoolie buses, and they've completely downsized absolutely everything. And they have literally only what they absolutely need right now, which is awesome. But that's not how I live currently. Maybe I will, but it doesn't serve my current lifestyle. I think everybody is somewhere on that spectrum, just like everybody else. And you don't need to hold it over yourself like another label to live up to. Uh, you don't need to be as minimalistic as someone else. It's more about using it to inspire you to work only in the ways that are appropriate for your family. So my answer to that woman on, on YouTube who was saying that I'm ridiculous and that I shouldn't use the word minimalism is you know, minimalism to me is the concept of downsizing and having kind of that core uh, um, collection of items, be it clothes, books, toys, kitchen utensils, etc. Having that core collection that's true for you right now, that's useful for you right now, that serves a purpose right now. I think if it serves a purpose in your life, then uh, you should keep it. And if it doesn't, then you should not. And if serving a purpose means it will serve a purpose when it's winter or in a year, that's okay. And I'll go a little further than that and say, I absolutely love Marie Kondo's work, just like everybody else. Of course, I love the life-changing magic of tidying up. I enjoyed the books years ago. And I use her process myself in terms of asking myself if something sparks joy. But I have found that in our overly materialistic American culture, at least, that's not always the most helpful question. And I'll tell you why. When I walk down the aisles of Target, which I attempt not to do very often, but when I do... Every item seems to spark joy. I mean, I pick up these random vases or, you know, salad, uh, what are they called? Salad spoons. Um, and it, they seem so beautiful. Like this would spark joy in my life. Or I see a toy or a book or clothing and I'm like, this is full of joy, right? And that question doesn't really lend itself to asking a bit of a deeper question of, will it really serve me? Will having this serve me more than the space that it takes up? Is it worth it? Is it worth my energy, not just my money, of course, but is it also worth my energy in keeping it tidy and caring for this item? Is it worth the earth's energy? Is it worth the energy and the sweat of all the people who worked to make it, to ship it, to brand it, and to sell it to me? And therefore, do I want to take part in that cycle? That's a question that's more helpful for me, a little bit deeper, because then I can say, well, yes, it sparks joy. It's a beautiful, you know, salad spoon. But no, it's not worth all of those things for me right now. It makes me a little bit more careful about that. So yeah, so I moved to America. I see these overcrowded playrooms. I worked with people in their homes. You can actually see videos of me doing that, decluttering them. Um, but what I found is that minimalism is a spectrum. And you have to ask yourself, what's appropriate for your family? You know, how many kids do you have? Do you homeschool? If you homeschool, you might need more materials or different materials. How much space do you have? If you're in a smaller space, it doesn't matter how many kids or whether you homeschool, you don't want a lot of stuff because it will really be too much clutter for the space. What's the climate where you live? 
you know, if you live in a cold versus hot climate, in a climate that has seasons like I do currently, you need the winter gear. I tried to get away without it. You can't. You need the snow stuff. (laughs) I mean, at least I can't. I need the snow stuff and I need the sun stuff and I need the goggles and the ski stuff and all the different things. Right, so where's, what's the climate? What's the culture? What sports are you part of, right? What are your children's interests? You know, my children are so into Lego and I love Lego. My, the only thing I don't like about it is that it's made out of plastic. Okay, two things I don't like about it. I also don't like that it gets everywhere and there's tons of little pieces, but I love the type of play and learning that evolves from Lego. So it's worth it for me to keep a lot of Lego because it really gets used right? So we have lots of winter gear. I keep my baby toys because I have a baby. (laughs) So that's what I mean. Now, just before I go on, the show notes to this episode are over at theparentingjunkie.com forward slash 17. And if you want more resources on decluttering, I'm going to be telling you how you can get your hands on those free resources that we're currently running. And that can also be found over at that link. So if you've tried decluttering, but you've given up in the middle or it's creeped back in, right? You've had doubts, you know, life just got in the way. Your kids got in the way. No, mommy, I love this. This is my all time favorite toy, said every kid whose parent ever tried to declutter the toy that they have not touched in two years. You know, your spouse got in the way. Maybe you're married to a mild hoarder who doesn't like the idea of getting rid of stuff they've spent money on, for example. Or maybe you haven't even attempted to declutter. Maybe it's too daunting. Seems like too big a task or it seems like you don't have enough time for it. We're going to address all of that this week. You see, on the surface, decluttering toys at least, sometimes it would seem almost ridiculous for toys to be such a big deal. But again and again in my work with parents, I learned that through a simple declutter of toys, a Pandora's box of emotions and fears bursts open. Why? Because toys have come to symbolize a lot in our society, right? They've come to symbolize the love that we give to our children, our financial abundance, status, all sorts of things. And I think that's where our limiting beliefs come in when, with regards to decluttering toys. And I'm going to go one by one through seven limiting beliefs and help you to unpack them. Now, if you want some hand-holding on decluttering and you're listening to this as it drops, first of all, thank you for being a loyal listener and tuning in straight away. I so appreciate that. Our community is currently decluttering toys together. I'm running a free decluttering challenge, so you can sign up for it. It's part of a three-week challenge. It's all free. It's over at theparentingjunkie.com forward slash challenge, and in it, you'll get access to exclusive videos, I've put a lot into those videos. I really hope you find them meaningful and PDF guides to help you go through this and get results now. I cannot wait to see your before and afters over on the Love Parenting with Avital Facebook group. Now, if you're watching this sometime in the future, I'm sorry, the challenge is over, but uh, you can still visit that link and you can sign up for the waitlist next time we run it. Okay, so let's go through all these limiting beliefs and bust, crush, and smush them one by one. Okay, the first one. The toys I have bought for my children represent my love for them. When we buy toys, it is often an act of love. We imagine our child so tickled, so pleased, so excited about this new shiny item that they will most definitely know how much we love them. Gift giving here and there is lovely. It's a love language that I understand because it totally used to be mine. 
But when it comes to the love language we use to regularly show our children love, it completely backfires. If it's something that we are constantly buying from a shop, like a toy, uh, even if it's secondhand, I don't think it serves our children in the long run to be getting so many gifts. They begin to be indulged and spoiled, expecting physical gifts when a hug or a hair tussle could and perhaps should have sufficed. And we, caught in the trap we set for ourselves, begin to actually feel guilty for saying no to more toys. And we eventually cave in and indulge them yet again so that our love for them is not called into question. So if this is you, one suggestion might be to quit cold turkey. You can explain it to your kids as well. But basically, you want to commit to buying new gifts only twice or three times a year, such as birthdays or Christmas or Hanukkah or special occasions for you. And instead, direct your efforts on learning new ways of expressing your love. The most classic, of course, is a hug and the simple statement, I love you. You could write a note. You could spend special time together. You could make your child something that they love at home, like an origami animal. Or you could list the ways you adore your child playing games, reading books, being together and showing them love through actions and even through things, but not through buying gifts. Try not to use gifts to convey your love unless it's only once in a while. The next reason we have too many toys and we find it difficult to declutter them is this. The toys my children have represent special people in their lives. Sometimes we hold on to an overwhelming number of teddy bears, gadgets, gizmos, dolls, books, vehicles, simply because these were gifted to us by someone important, like granny or grandpa or a teacher. But when toys no longer serve our children or don't serve their best interest, the gift becomes a tiny little ball and chain you're carrying around, constantly tidying and organizing it until... As in one of my clients, Lisa's case, her home is literally buried in the rubble of all these well-meaning gifts. I want you to remember that when people buy us a gift, they do so hopefully to show their love to us, right? If they ever imagined the item became burdensome, more clutter, more work for us to keep tidy, one hopes they wouldn't want us to keep it anyway. So if this is you, if you struggle because the gifts were given from someone meaningful, how about you take a photo of the toys that are meaningful but not useful anymore or that don't align with your your philosophy? And that way you can add them to your family album. If there are some really, truly special items, especially from people who are no longer with you, keep those and make sure they have a special place, like a dedicated shelf or display. Because just jumbling a bunch of stuff up together doesn't really honor the relationship or the memory that you were hoping for it to. In other words, keeping them isn't enough. Either keep them in a special way and honor them, or... Send them to donation with your blessing and gratitude for the time they spent in your home and lit up your children's faces. Perhaps those aren't your issues, but this one might be. Maybe the toys we have represent the promise of prodigy or at least education. Look, this one really is not your fault. I mean, none of them are. We are living in a capitalist, materialist, 
abundant culture, which is incredible and amazing and a gift. But also, the main goal of big box business is to increase profits, not to sell you the items that best serve your kids. So it stands to reason that you, just like me, have fallen prey to the empty promises of companies that this or that toy will give your child the edge. From baby Einstein CDs to leapfrog reading machines, every toy on the shelf seems to improve your child's memory, logic, reason, number sense, spatial awareness, fine and gross motor skills. And the list goes on. (laughs) And where do those toys find themselves just a few weeks later? You guessed it, underfoot. It's high time we stop believing that a toy is what will make or break our children's future career. I myself have invested in lots of different lovely toys. Some of them I would recommend. Montessori toys, all sorts of Waldorf learning materials, and I like them. But here's the plain fact. If you have too many, you simply can't use them. So even the best toys aren't educational if you can't get around to using them and playing with them. That's why too much is too much. So if this is you, I urge you to join me in trying to keep it simple. Anything that promises to teach your children, improve their skills, or expand their minds is promising too much. And it's playing into our vulnerability as parents. We all want the best for our kids. And when it comes to expanding the minds of children, there are no shortcuts for purchase at Target or on Amazon. There are some great toys and you should have a lovely play zone, movement zone, quiet zone, and messy zone in your home. Definitely, I believe in toys. I just think that even the best ones can be too much. I believe it is through consistent, committed, connected relationships that children truly learn. No glamour, no flashing lights, just showing up to explore with them. It's mostly through you. You're the magic toy. (laughs) So maybe that wasn't the one for you, but maybe what's holding you back from decluttering is this. The toys we have are a status symbol that prove I'm providing prosperity for my children. This one can sometimes be a plain old keeping up with the Joneses, but with a twist. We're keeping our children up with the Joneses' children. Just because the kids around all have one, or because your friends rave about it, doesn't mean that you have to. Your children will benefit so much more from a more orderly, manageable, and streamlined home than they will from yet another Shopkins or fidget spinner. Really. I have fallen prey to the fads, and what I've come to is this. If my children want to save up their allowance and buy something that I prefer not to buy for themselves, that is fine. But I'm not spending money on those things anymore. Plus, they'll benefit from experiencing their parent as a confident leader who does not buy things simply because others do, but who stands their firm, empathic ground and is true to their values. When I used to say, but so-and-so's mommy lets, (laughs) my parents always said to me, and it drove me crazy at the time, but now I totally get it. They said, well, I'm not so-and-so's mommy. So if this is you, begin to cultivate a mindfulness about what's driving the urge to buy this item. Is it really necessary? Is it well-made? Will it stand the test of time? Is it going to serve constructive play? And are you buying it so that someone will see your child has it or your child can show that they have it? You've got to be brutally honest and step away from the cash register. (laughs) 
The next one is a little bit close to home for many of us, and it's this. The toys I buy serve as a behavior modification trump card. Read manipulation. Rewards, right? It's true, the promise of a new toy can smother even the wildest tantrum and bribe even the shyest child into posing for a photo with grandma. New toys are alluring for adults and children alike, and we're willing to jump through some pretty uncomfortable hoops to secure them. But unless this is used extremely sparingly, it's a dangerous and corrosive message. The message is, if you do this, insert something your child doesn't want to do, for me, I will pay you with this. I don't need to elaborate on how that type of conditioning can manifest in the future. It's just ugly. Usually, we bribe because we feel powerless as parents. We don't own our authority. We're not clear in the conviction that our child can and will cooperate with us as long as our requests are reasonable and appropriate and our child feels sufficiently connected and nourished. We worry we'll be shown up or that they're uncontrollable otherwise, or we plain old are afraid of big feelings, right? Clients say to me, but he'll have a meltdown. And I say, great, an opportunity to express his pent-up feelings is never a bad thing. Bribery is very seductive, I know, but use it so sparingly, like those extreme situations when you're on a plane or someone's in the hospital or you're just completely at your wit's end. Try not to go there as a default. So if this is you, if bribery has been your go-to, then you may have unintentionally created a relationship monster, a situation where your child expects to be paid for any cooperation. Like one client of mine who would give her child lollipops, toys, and even money every time they buckled into their car seat. I'm sure you don't want the threat of a screaming tantrum lorded over you for one day more. So you must learn to set empathic limits and hold them with consistency and confidence, bribes notwithstanding. Perhaps you are more concerned about waste. I know that I definitely feel this. Here's what I mean. I don't want to waste them now that I've bought them. Often, we hold on to things simply because we already bought them. The logic goes, well, I've already spent money on this, and even though I now hate it, or it just doesn't serve me and I want it out of the house, that would be wasteful, so I better keep it. Here's what I always say to this. Don't pay for things twice. Just because you made the mistake, quote unquote, of buying it the first time, doesn't mean you should now pay for it a second time with your energy and your precious real estate. Just because you've already bought it doesn't mean it can't turn into a wonderful learning opportunity. Imagine you simply bought the lesson that you learned and you can thank it because you enjoyed it for the time that you had it. You can thank it for the lesson that you had from it. And if this is you, let go of the guilt and shame of having spent money unwisely. I say that with air quotes. Those moments and choices are in the past, and if you declutter these items, they will be out of your life also and bring joy to someone else. Remember, just because you're keeping it also doesn't mean you're not wasting it. Often people say to me, well, I'll keep it so as not to waste it, but then it's just sitting in their cupboard and they're still not using it, i.e. it's still being wasted. Someone else could be loving on this object big time, so give it to someone who cares. And finally, and most corrosively, What if they need them again in the future? Fear. 
fear of needing something in the future. Look, this is legitimate. And if you're not done having kids, hold on to your baby toys. If you're seriously considering moving to a snowy climate, keep those sleds. But if you're holding on to things that honestly we all know you will never use again, like a flower press perhaps, or a bread maker maybe, or a plastic pirate ship that lights up and spins, please release them to the next lucky person who might actually have a use for them. Of course, if you do press flowers, then keep that flower press. So if this is you, remember that if you really end up needing this item in the future, you could probably borrow one or buy a new one. But what are the chances of that actually happening? Don't think that holding on to the useless item now doesn't cost you. It does. Items we hold on to end up holding on to us. Ultimately, the relationship we have with our stuff mimics the relationship we have with ourselves and the world. Do we feel fearful of scarcity, that we might someday be wanting or hungry, so we need to stock up now? That's a natural evolutionary emotion, but we can override it with our logic. Do we feel inferior or like we can't keep up and we need to compare ourselves to others and make sure we measure up? Again, logical, but not helpful. Do we feel compelled to be pleasers and do things we don't want to do so that others don't dislike us or we don't hurt someone's feelings? Do we feel powerless and unheard so we're gathering ammunition with which we can manipulate and bribe our children? I think that when we feel secure, confident, and crystal clear with our goals and boundaries, conscious and awake in that way, then every single facet of our lives begins to reflect this on the outside as well. Our jobs, our weight, our relationship, our health, our thoughts, and of course our stuff, our stuff, our physical environment begin to mirror our most authentic inner selves. So I hope that this has helped you to Do away with those limiting beliefs and I invite you to get out your journal and really go through what might be stopping you, what might be difficult and release those into the universe so that you can declutter and create a space that feels amazing to you and that's easy to manage. You'll be giving your children the gift of a minimalist inviting environment, but you'll also be giving them the gift of a happy and calmer parent who doesn't scream about tidying up all the time. So if you are ready to join this idea of prioritizing presence, play and peace, our movement, if you want to learn more about immersive, independent and nurturing play for your child, join the free community-wide challenge that's called Reclaim Play and it's happening right now at theparentingjunkie.com forward slash challenge. Again, it's free, it's so much fun and we're all doing it together and posting our results on Facebook in the Love Parenting with Avital Facebook group. And the challenge is continuing next week when I'll share a little known but awesomely effective free superpower we all have as parents that can deeply improve our children's play. Thanks for listening to the Parenting Junkie Show. If this was helpful for you, I would be so appreciative if you would subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. Subscribing to the show means you'll get the bonus episodes that I only deliver here. And when you rate and review the show, it helps other parents find it. I'll be shouting out some of my favorite reviews in upcoming episodes and would love to spotlight you. And remember, keep on loving parenting and parenting from love. Namaste. Namaste.